Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. In this episode, we're going to be speaking with Lisa Bildley, who is the lead lawyer for the Justice Centre in regards to the human rights case in Ontario. So let's have a listen. So thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles to discuss the human rights violations that have been happening in long-term care, specifically in the province of Ontario. And um, just wanted to, if you can just probably, we'll start off with you just giving a bit of your background as well, um, as to you being the lead on this particular case. Sure, I'm happy to do that. Uh, I work with the Justice Centre for Constitutional Freedoms, which is a pro bono uh, constitutional law firm based in Calgary. And our focus is, as the name suggests, um, protecting Canadians' rights and freedoms from infringement by uh, the government or an arm of the government. I've been with the Justice Centre for just over a year, and um, I'm at, at the moment I'm the only lawyer that we have based in Ontario. So. Uh, I keep an eye on issues that are coming up here. And certainly since the COVID lockdown um, began six months ago, we have been just absolutely swept off our feet with uh, tons and tons of work across the country. Um, Violations of of various rights and freedoms have been par for the course um, over the last six months. And and, uh, not too many lawyers are in this space where we Mm -hmm. are. So we are certainly dealing with Uh, I don't think it would be an overstatement to call it a deluge of um, inquiries and concerns that are coming into our office on a daily basis. So with that uh, deluge of concerns that are coming in, what what exactly are you hearing from family and from residents and from caregivers as to what these lockdowns have done during the pandemic? Well, you know, we were concerned about the lockdown right from the beginning. Um, Even, you know, in March and April, we were writing articles concerned that the, um, you know, the impact of the lockdown would would cause more hardship potentially than the virus itself. And uh, again, we were kind of a lonely voice in this respect. Uh, When we opened up our website to invite people to submit their concerns of, you know, what what has impacted them, what what is their story of hardship, we were bombarded with long-term care stories. That was the number one story that was, that was, coming into us at that time. Now, we're still hearing all kinds of different stories. It's not just long-term care, but um, but certainly back in the spring into June, that was absolutely dominating. And so, of course, people were not able to get in to see their loved ones. They weren't able to provide the care that had been provided previously. Uh, and certainly by you know May and June, the impact of that loss of care was being seen and felt to the extent people could actually see their loved one. Often that was just through a window and they can see the deterioration happening, you know, um, over time. And it was just heartbreaking. So, uh, you know, we haven't done uh, a lot in this space, in the long-term care space, but uh, we're strongly of the view that the the elderly in, in long-term care facilities are not prisoners. They are citizens who have rights just like anybody else in this country. And since they've been violated, we are, uh, you know, adamant that that this is an issue that's that's of importance to all Canadians and uh, um, and certainly those who are who are advocating for their loved ones. So anyway, that 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 was um, what got got us into the mm-hmm. uh, into this space of dealing with a long term care issue. 
Uh, we sent a demand letter back in June to the provincial government in Ontario to say, hey, you know, we're hearing these stories. This is not acceptable. What are you going to do about it? And uh, uh, we didn't get a response to that. Um, another month went by and we sent this time a very explicit demand letter saying, this is what we want you to do. We, we want you to adopt, and it's not just us saying this, it's experts across various yeah. disciplines who deal with the elderly. And uh, we specifically asked that they would adopt the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario's recommendations. It was a very simple uh, five-step process to get people back in looking after their loved ones and gave them, you know, um, how we felt that they were not only violating the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, uh, the Residents' Bill of Rights and other legislation, but we also said, you know, this is in your interest too, to get these people back in. Uh, you're going to get, you're getting sued already, but you just wait until people continue to deteriorate yeah. in these homes and, and you're going to be seeing an awful lot more lawsuits. The evidence seems to say uh, that the harms are of, um, uh, letting essential caregivers in are far outweighed by the benefits and you'll be hearing about the harms. Anyway, they ignored that too. So then we had to sue. Yes, exactly. And I know that right now there's the two families that you are representing for um, their violations of their rights for that. And that has the government at least acknowledged in terms of what you, your organization has put through. Well, they they have, uh, let me just explain another little wrinkle that your listeners may not be aware of. And if they may have been wondering why it's taking so long for us to get anywhere in court, uh, when we put, we put together this application, and it is a complicated type of case, to be honest, um, there's a lot of finger pointing that's been going on. And we're in essentially new territory with all of these restrictions. This is not something most of us have seen before. Um, in any event, the application was sent to the court in August and the divisional court is where it has to go because it's a, they are the body in Ontario that deals with judicial review applications. And judicial review is basically, you know, getting a court to look at a decision that a public decision maker has made and um, make a ruling on, on whether it was reasonable and appropriate uh, to make that decision. And so, we're saying, look, the directive that was issued by the um, Chief Medical Officer of Health is was a convoluted, inconsistent mess. People have been confused since day one about what their rights are. You can't have rules that are supposed to be enforceable that make no sense and that contradict, you know, internally and uh, and with the um, long-term care homes, it was it was just such a disaster. So we have we had filed our application with the divisional court in August, but one of the lockdown measures that uh, was a holdover still from when they shut everything down was that we have to have our case assessed by a, a triage judge to determine if it's urgent enough to go forward. Okay. And you know this is not something that is a normal procedure. Normally, you can just go and start a lawsuit by getting it. Um, you know, stamped by a court clerk at the at the counter, but under our new lockdown measures, uh, there's this extra step in the process. So if, if your listeners are wondering why things are taking a little longer to move forward, it was three weeks before we could even get a judge to assess whether the case could just start. Um, so so that's that's where we're at now. Last week, last Friday, 
the divisional court didn't even actually entertain the urgency argument. The government has responded by um, indicating, you know, that they would be in attendance at this meeting and they had their lawyer there um, and they were going to oppose the urgency argument. But the the judge at the uh, teleconference just didn't even entertain that. He just said, let's get moving forward. So so that was good news. And and the case will will march along, even though there have been some changes now to the situation since we initially started the application. Uh, as you know, there's yeah. been a change with the new guidelines that have come out on September 9th. Yes, exactly. And then even with those guidelines, it's still each home or each facility interpreting as to how they'll implement each one of those um, recommendations by the government. So right. that's, that's I guess, the, um, the major issue is that these are all just recommendations or guidelines for these uh, facilities. And then each one decides based on on how to be able to implement that and if they will be able to implement that. So they, there's just no strength behind what the government is, is indicating for these homes to, um, to, to move forward with these um, visitor reports. Right. And I have to question whether that's in fact deliberate. And I suspect it is because certainly they have known that our position on this, they had our materials at the time when they put this out, um, making it very clear that the issue is that the directive isn't, um, it isn't clear, it isn't being enforced. See, directives take, uh, under the Long-Term Care Homes Act, uh, the government can issue binding directives on long-term care homes and they are supposed to follow them. Um, but these policies and guidelines don't necessarily rise to that level of enforceability. And, and so by, by leaving it out of a directive and just making it sort of a guideline, well, that puts all this discretion back into the hands of the homes. Well, isn't that convenient when the government can point fingers at somebody else for not letting in the essential caregiver, which is what's been happening yeah. throughout. I mean, we have seen this from day one, that the fact that the essential caregiver definition was changed multiple times, um, deliberately left <laughs> vague. And then there was this whole new category and one of the iterations of an essential caregiver, which was not, it didn't describe what people were supposed to do with that category. They just added in a new category. Um, you know, all of this has just resulted in this finger pointing back and forth, which, which of course is, uh, is a risk avoidance strategy, right? The government doesn't want to necessarily take responsibility for these decisions. So, it's been it's been a you know <laughs> it's your fault yeah. it's your fault kind of thing going on for six months while families have sat there waiting for an inappropriate decision to be made it's it's really been uh, it's really been unacceptable. Well, definitely ve- definitely very stressful for the families, especially for family members that still have not, after six months, seen their loved ones, whether that's just only by window visits or virtual or if at all that they mm-hmm. have had any type of contact to be able to know what exactly is going on. Now, with, uh, you know, we're, I guess, going to be approaching a second wave of of COVID-19, and um, there's still no clear directives by the, in in the, you know, by the Ontario government for um, visitations, and you've clearly indicated that, um, yes, there is a lot of finger pointing and a lot of uh, not so clear um, in terms of being able to, to visit. How is that going to, you know, help assist or, you know, does this make this the situation worse? Because COVID-19 will be with us for some time and um, it, it's still, it's it's something that needs to be resolved. It's not, it can't be left unresolved. 
Right. Well, I, I think it's setting us up for just another whole um, period of confusion and grief is, is what's happening. You know, the I'm quite certain that the geriatricians and, you know, the National Institute on Aging, the Registered Nurses Association, um, various organizations would not have come out and said how important essential caregivers are and that, they, that it's essential that they be kept in the homes even during an outbreak. They would not have said all of that unless they actually believed that to be the case in their expert opinions. And so, you know, the government's been ignoring and the homes have been ignoring this advice, which has been well known to them um, because they're concerned about liability. I, I believe that to be the case. You know, they, they have been sued multiple times for their handling of COVID. Uh, this follows on a long history of problems in long-term care, which no government seems to be able to fix. Uh, and, and perhaps some of the problems are insoluble or just so massive that they're not readily um, able to be dealt with. But nonetheless, you know, the experts have come forward with, with a pretty clear outline of what should be done with essential caregivers and to ensure that appropriate care continues to be provided. And it helps alleviate the staff shortages, which I think probably would help them manage COVID even better on the ground. If they, if they have people in who can monitor uh, individuals, you know, temperatures and, and conditions and symptoms and so on and, and um, get them appropriate care, you know, they may, they may help to, to, to stem future outbreaks. But they've made this choice to, to leave it all in a very confused fashion. And I just, uh, unless it gets resolved at a higher level through the courts, I, I, I think we're just going to be in for another six months of the same kind of nonsense that we've had to deal with for the last six months. However, with this, um, the violation of these human rights, and it's with this particular segment of the population, could that just then, you know, transfer on to any other po segment of the population in terms of uh, violating their rights under this particular pandemic? Not necessarily long-term care, but that could definitely have a ripple effect to other people losing their particular rights. Could that potentially be a possibility as well, that we need to be aware and we need to call to action as to this particular segment needs to have their rights, you know, um, honored. Right. Well, everybody's rights are being infringed in one way or another um, throughout throughout this pandemic. And, and again, that's something our organization is, I mean, we're just, we're a small group and it's been um, hard to know, you know, how we can there, there are just so many cases of people's rights being infringed for one reason or another, mm -hmm. whether it's being able to, to move freely across the country, whether it's, you know, being forced to, um, um, you know, wear masks. And again, it, many people are the view that if that's a, a minor infringement for some people, it, uh, it's more significant. Um, in any event, yes, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna be continuing to see ongoing rights infringements in in different sectors if we don't start pushing back on this and getting some rulings indicating that the government's gone too far. Um, the there are certainly other congregate care settings that are dealing with these same kinds of issues that they are in long term care, group homes for kids, various things like that too. So, uh, if we can get a ruling on this, I, I'm hopeful that it will have a spillover a spillover effect into the other, at least the other congregate care settings, but it would be nice to hear a court rule on the propriety of government's measures generally. Maybe this isn't the case that we'll get 
any broader than that, but I'm, I'm sure there'll be one coming shortly. We'll be, we're continuing to want to challenge the government on uh, lockdown measures generally and, and whether they're appropriate six months down the line. Um, certainly our position that they're, that they're not. Thank you. And as well, the, and lastly, in terms of for family members and caregivers, what can they continue to do to be able to make this uh, issue known and for having the government to be able to move forward with the changes? Well, continue to get your letters into the government. Continue to complain when you are not having your uh, when your particular long-term care home that you're dealing with is not abiding by these latest guidelines. Then complain. Complain to the minister. Um, complain to the ombudsperson. You just might not get very far. Uh, doesn't mean your voice shouldn't be heard. It doesn't mean you shouldn't complain. But I'll be I'll be honest. People have been complaining for six months. And we've gotten not very far with this. What has what has worked? in our experience has been lawsuits. And because they have to, the government has to respond to lawsuits. They don't have to respond to complaints satisfactorily. They they do have to respond to lawsuits. And it's my understanding that that very strange uh, directive change that we got just at the end of August, which allowed for the day visits, yes. was the result of a judicial review application as well. I don't know if people were aware of that, I know a lot of people were wondering why that came out of the blue and, yes. and they didn't deal more fully with the essential caregiver issue. I wondered that myself, but I am now aware that that was the result of a court action as well. So so I'm hopeful that our particular application will help to move the needle in the right direction as well. Um, and that may be what it actually takes to get the job done. I hope so. Thank you so much for coming on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles and your time. Thank you so much, Lisa. Oh, my pleasure. You're nice welcome. To talk to you. Okay, take care. Thank you for listening to today's show. And if you have any feedback or suggestions for this or any other episode, please contact us on our social media at Twitter at Family Councils and at Facebook, Family Councils Collaborative Alliance. Thank you so much and hope you enjoyed this episode.